Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is TeacherCast Podcast, episode number 190. Today, we're going to be talking to two authors of an amazing new book, and we're going to be diving into race relations in the classroom, in the school district, in the community, and really in current events today. But before we get into our topic today, I want to remind you guys that there's some great stuff happening over on TeacherCast. If you are an instructional technology coach, we have a great program over at askthetechcoach.com. We have our weekly podcast that happens every single Monday, helping you guys be the best tech coaches. And of course, this time of year, we are looking forward to starting our brand new mastermind group that's going to be launching in early January and running for eight weeks. If you guys are a tech coach and are looking for a great group of people to join a PLN, check out askthetechcoach.com and find out how you can be a better professional development trainer. Our show today is, of course, sponsored by all the great stuff happening over at Educational Podcasting today. If you're looking to join a podcasting group, create a podcast for your own, or bring audio and video into your classrooms, check out educationalpodcasting.today to learn how to make a show, create a great website, and bring amazing and innovative lessons into your classrooms. There's, of course, several great ways that you can reach out and be a part of our show. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. And, of course, email us over at feedback at TeacherCast.net. And, of course, those are just some of the things that we're doing over here on TeacherCast. But tonight we are talking all about an interesting topic, one that we've kind of touched base over the last couple years. But I'm really excited today to not put one toe not put two toes, but to put an entire foot in the water here. Tonight we're talking all about race relations with a brand new book that's going to be coming out here. I want to bring on the authors today. First, I want to introduce Shauna Coppola. Shauna, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from New Hampshire. I've been an educator for about 20 years now. And I've taught middle school language arts. I've been a literacy specialist in the K to six realm. And just very recently, um, I have been uh, doing some work around um, racial literacy and bias and cultural responsiveness um, with teachers and with students. So I'm relatively new to this work, but I'm excited to be talking about it today. You know, the topic of cultural responsiveness is something that is absolutely needed in in today's classrooms of all grade levels. And I'm looking forward to diving into how do we do that in both the upper and the lower. But first, let me bring on your co-author here, Mr. Matthew K. Matt, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I teach uh, ninth and 10th graders English at Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. A, a great, great school. I've been there several, several times. How is everything down at SLA? Everything's going well. We're just chugging along, doing good work. It feels good. Yeah. Ben mm-hmm. Franklin Institute doing well? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Now, one thing I know about being down there in Philadelphia is it's a it's a big city. There's a lot of students. There's a lot of uh, multicultural things going on. And, and it's important these days for students to understand race relations, to talk about these things. But it's even more important for teachers to be able to create an environment where these conversations can happen. Why, in your opinion, Matt, is this such an important topic? To discuss race um thoughtfully and openly and and with 
both compassion and rigor is going to be one of the, you know, as it's been throughout the country's history, it's been one of the more important conversations we have, but it's going to um, be even much more important for our students because a lot of the issues that so deeply impact them involve race and are not as open or as public or as um, we've gotten used to talking about it in a fake way, in a fraudulent way, in ways that are not productive and are ways that are hidden. And so kids have to work that much harder to get to the good stuff as far as race conversations are concerned. Well, what do you mean so, by fake? I mean, like, for example, uh, you know, uh, we always talk about how uh, at, at some uh, uh, Thanksgiving tables uh, recently it gets a little hard because, uh, you know, you, you expect everyone to get together and, and kind of fuss at each other a bit and then go their separate ways and no one has changed their mind. You look at social media, you look at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and you see meme contests and you see all sorts of things. But again, no one's changed their mind. No one has dug in. You know, every, everyone has dug in. Everyone comes into a conversation and leaves a conversation the exact same person that they have been. And um, there is a culture of fake conversations about race that um, teachers are going to have to learn how to deliberately counter because um, our kids are going to have to engage it in a meaningful way in order to undo some of the things that are being done in the world. Now, Shauna, with everything that's going on in today's world, in today's culture, what was it that made you say, this is a book that needs to be written? Well, um, so, of course, I have read Matthew's book, and it's amazing. Um, He's a wonderful writer, and um, it definitely makes a case for the more meaningful kinds of conversations. Like Matthew said, there were, there have been too many just sort of on the surface um, conversations. And what personally, what happened um, in my life was I just started realizing, I think the catalyst for my work was a wonderful podcast um, through the center for documentary studies called seeing white. And um, it, just opened my eyes. I had not, and I think this is not uncommon. I had not really realized before listening to this, um, that whiteness is a race. (laughs) And I think that's part of the issue with, um, schools and classrooms is that we have been, especially in somewhere in like New Hampshire, that is, um, in many communities, there are predominantly white schools and classrooms. And we, collectively don't talk about race it doesn't um when i when i do this work with my colleague kathy collins and i we talk to um teachers and administrators and parents about doing this work and often what we get is we don't have those issues and there's a lot to unpack in that statement because number one a lot of the people in predominantly white communities don't consider whiteness a race which is a problem. Um, And number two, the idea of race always being about an issue is itself something to unpack and talk about as well. Um, So just sort of waking up myself, I guess, is where I started thinking, my gosh, (laughs) I think of myself as a fairly intelligent person and I know nothing (laughs) and I need to help others 
you know, get better at understanding and developing their racial literacy. Well, I, I want to take a step back here. I was a little bit excited about the topic and introducing everybody here. We totally forgot to introduce what exactly we're looking at here. Um, Shauna, of course, is the author of a fantastic book from Stenhouse Productions called Renew. And uh, Matthew here is, is the author of a fantastic book called Not Light But Fire, How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom, also by Stenhouse Publications. All the links and all the uh, the how do you get it and stuff is going to be over here on our on our uh, blog post over on teachercast.net. And um, I, I want to kind of continue with these conversations here, Matt, especially as we're going through here. Race relations has always been in the forefront, but I, I want to start the podcast off by saying when we're talking today about race relations, we're not just talking black versus whites. We're talking races of all different kinds, because especially in the last couple of years, it hasn't just been black, white. It's been black, white, Hispanic, Asian, every little area of the world. There are people who have issues with each other, and those issues are spilling over into the classroom. What can a teacher or a school district do if they're noticing that students in their own classes are starting to feel uncomfortable around each other? Well, I mean, it's it's there are there there are many things that that need to be looked at. Um, I, I I would say first um, uh, to to consider and reflect on the premise of the question. Sometimes um, race is 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 well, no, often actually race is always mentioned in through the lens of clashes and conflict, and not as often. Um, with the language of opportunity. Um, uh, and I think that one of the first steps I always lean into uh, before we talk about conflict, which is, you know, understandably what a lot of folks want to talk about because it's, it's so visible and so much at the forefront. But how are we in our classrooms presenting diversity as an opportunity? And how are we doing it purposefully? And how are we doing it so that we don't front load the idea that we have to fight each other today? So we don't front load the idea that people are at war everywhere, but we front load the idea that cultures are beautiful and difference is beautiful and, and interactions with people who have had different life experiences from you are beautiful. And I, and I think my first step with any school uh, or any classroom or any, uh, any situation where teaching and learning is happening I, is to first establish a culture where difference is looked at as a beautiful thing and where uh, things that are different are explored and questioned and uh, appreciated and challenged sometimes, um, but not automatically fought or automatically problematized. Um, and I, I think that's, 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 that's my first step. That'll be my first piece of advice. Um, even when, cause I've gone to some schools and, and, and they want to speak immediately about conflict. They want to say, Hey, this is happening. What do I do? And I'm like, well, anyone who sells you something that tells about what to do in every case of conflict is probably selling snake oil. Like there is no one thing that you can do to solve uh, uh, any, all of the race conflicts that you're dealing with because it doesn't exist. People are different and everyone's experience is not monolithic. And, 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 and though there's a market for those simple answers, all of them are, 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 none of them are guaranteed to work. 
And, and, and so I do start, however, with what are you doing purposefully in your building, in your classroom, in your one-on-one relationship with a mentee to appreciate difference and, um, and to set up a culture where just because someone is different from you, that doesn't mean they're wrong. Uh, is, is there a, is there a sweet spot when it comes to education with this? I mean, is this just high school topics or should we be talking to our first second graders about this? I mean, well, it, it, it's that's one of those things that so many people have written about that tends to fall across cultural lines. I mean, uh, in, 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 in the black community, we're talking about race all of the time. We talk about race at, at, at family gatherings. We talk about race in our infancy. Like we're, we're always talking race. Um, and, and I would imagine, and so from what I've heard, many uh, other minority c- c- communities, the same thing. This thing about not talking about what uh, race is, a, is tends to be a white thing. And a particularly amongst like liberal whites mm-hmm. or whites who are like post-racial whites. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure racist whites are talking about race all the time, but I don't tend to concern myself with, with convincing them. I, I, I don't deal <laughs> with that. But um, uh, it's, we talk about race. You know, there are people around us who speak race all the time, and a lot of times we assume that people aren't speaking race because we didn't speak race, or because like in our table we didn't. But I guarantee you, most it, 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 ask the minorities around you, and they have been discussing race forever. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think from infancy, and so. Uh, uh, it definitely has a place um, in all communities where we can start to, and, you know, I can't claim this idea, but many people have written that white people's not speaking about race is speaking about race. It's just normalizing everything about their experience as being what it's supposed to be. And everyone else is somehow different or wrong or, 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 or those kind of things. Um, but I can't claim that. <laughs> Lots of folks have said that. Well, but is, we can is, talk about it early. Is this a regional thing? And when you're saying, you know, race is spoken at all over the place, is it easier or difficult? And I, I don't, I don't know this answer here, but is it easier or difficult to speak about race in in urban areas or in the middle of the country? I mean, if you're if you are in New Hampshire, is it easier or harder to speak about race as if you're in inner city Manhattan? I would imagine I've lived my experience. I don't try to live. I don't try to, you know, I don't claim any expertise. That's not my own. Um, but I would imagine just from what, you know, minority culture experience has been forever in this country, um, is that it only makes sense that if you're a black person in a all white area, you darn sure are talking race probably very often, (laughs) At like, home, at school, at to- home, at school. anytime you're around folks with whom you can uh, build and let your hair down and, you know, insert your cliche. But anytime where you can be in a presence not around whiteness, you are definitely talking about the white people in, in white racial terms. OK. Um, and I've never traveled anywhere and asked. I ask informally, anecdotally, but I ask whenever I'm in all sorts of communities. And that's been a constant like. um it's it's always it's sometimes even unsettling to 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 some of the white people that I speak to is so how often the black people around them I'm saying yo no we definitely talk about your whiteness <laughs> like we definitely have spoken about it it's been a topic of conversation it has come up uh, we have spoken about how it feels to be black in a white space 
Um, How does it feel? To be black in a white space is, is I mean, it's not, again, it's not monolithic. Um, I, would, I would counter that with kind of how does it feel to be aware of your skin color? Like, if I'm going and, pre- and presenting a professional development in a school district that is majority white, uh, do I feel my skin in that environment? Absolutely. But oftentimes they've been very kind. There's very, there's, 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 there's nothing hostile. There's nothing, uh, uh, that makes me feel out of sorts, but there's, um, um, the pressures of representation, you know, how do I dress? How do I walk? How do I, how so, do I make sure? So g- giving a presentation in Philadelphia versus giving a presentation in Bucks County, they can be spectacularly different. And have both of them be perfectly lovely audiences that have been like, we've built perfectly wonderful relationships and had a great time, but uh, spectacularly different how I feel as a presenter. Talk talk to us about that. Do you prepare differently? Would you give the same presentation? Let's say you're doing an hour long workshop. Could you give the same presentation in Philadelphia and Bucks County? I've done it. Well, maybe not Bucks County, right. but uh, Westchester, you know, whatever. Yeah, so, someplace, someplace not city race. There, there. It's fascinating, really. Um, uh, 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 I have this clip that I play often at the beginning of my presentations. It's from CNN. Um, it's and um, I play this clip basically to show how bad we are at, at at having race conversations in the world. And it's Don Lemon, and he's arguing with Jeffrey Lord. And I play this clip all the time. And uh, and um, Jeffrey Lord had made a comment earlier in the day comparing Martin Luther King to Donald Trump. Um, it was a super big thing on CNN a couple of years ago, right? And so I play this clip of them discussing it. And what's fascinating is when I play that clip in Philly. When I'm presenting the clip, like introducing the clip, like MLK and and Donald Trump written, like said in the same um, uh, a sentence, there's often a like, whoa, what, whoa, and there's a re- reaction. And I've gotten used the first few times I did it in the suburbs, I noticed that there wasn't a reaction. And I, you know, when you do presentations for a while, you kind of pause for effect. Sometimes you're kind of like pause for laughter, pause for <laughs> snide comments, pause for, and I paused and everyone was looking at me like, okay, all right. All right. And I was not ready for people not to be incredulous by the comparison. I had just been used to people being incredulous by the comparison. Um, so I had to like adjust myself on the fly, like, okay, all right. All right. So we're in a different political space here. And, um, how do I feel my skin in this place? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, how would some of these people's students, cause I'm just in and out, I'm in and out. How I feel doesn't matter as much. Right. But how do these people's students who have to sit in front of them every day? How do they feel their skin in your classroom? Well, let's let's take a similar topic here, and if I can, turn it just a little bit. Shauna, what are your thoughts on all this? Um, well, I agree with with Matthew and his um, assessment of where race is talked about and in what you know what kinds of situations. Because I can tell you that having grown up in a quote unquote liberal, um, very majority white area, it it is absolutely that whole idea of colorblindness. Oh, we don't see race. We don't see um, difference. And and that's dangerous. That's actually dangerous thinking because 
um, it, it normalizes this idea of whiteness rather than understanding that that whiteness is itself a race. Whiteness is itself, you know, there are differences, of course, among people of the same race, but not kind of seeing color negates and erases everything that race has to, has affects us in our lives. And, and um, one of the things I was thinking about today um, was how oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh, well, you know, you're playing the race card or you're bringing race into this when it has nothing to do with it. And I honestly could not think of anything that doesn't have to do with race or that is affected by race. There is nothing I can think of in our lives that is not affected by race. And, um, and also being part of that, that majority white group in an area like I, um, like I am now, part of our privilege is choosing not to talk about race. And when people say to me, well, what's developmentally appropriate for kids? Is it developmentally appropriate to talk about race with kindergartners? Of, of course it is. Again, we're not talking specifically all the time about conflict and, and, you know, and clashing. We're talking about differences among people um, that are important to highlight. And um, so I think it's important to understand that when you don't talk about race, you are making a choice. Um, and it's a privileged choice at that. Well, let's let's kind of deep dive into this here, Matt. When you're looking at your world and when you're looking at it from your family background and when you're looking at it from, you know, Philadelphia kind of a world and you see somebody who is also uncomfortable and, and I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to put this in the right way here, but, you know, we do live in a white male dominated world, right? Mm -hmm. And, and Shauna, you are a very amazing, powerful, strong woman trying to make it in a world that's dominated by white males. Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to put your, you know, I, I, I want to say it the right way here. And yeah. obviously you can say, I'm feeling a little bit awkward talking about these conversations. Right. But when you're giving a presentation, do you feel a little awkward in that male-female area? Just as Matt might feel. Am I saying this the right way? No. Yes, I think I know what you're getting at. It's it is different. Um, I I I would imagine it's very very different. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure what what more to say about that. I just because the. <sighs> Yes, gender dy dynamics, of course, infiltrate just about everything we do. But it's it's a it's um it's very different than how how race has infiltrated everything we do in in America. We're founded on this false notion that that people are different because of the melanin in their skin, um, and and yes, there are social implications around this concept that was literally created um, in order to justify behaviors and, and practices that the people who founded this country wanted to engage in. But um, yeah, it, it is, it's a whole different ball game, I think, the whole race versus gender thing. And that's why when we talk about, you know, another thing that Kathy and I um, get when we uh, asked to talk about these 
issues and concepts with educators and community members, often we get, well, why aren't you just talking about diversity in general, you know, because there's gender differences that always, always, always comes up. And our answer to that is often, if we don't specify, specifically discuss race and how to uh, develop our racial literacy, then, then we're never going to talk about it because we white people anyway. We will not be talking about it because it's so uncomfortable. And again, so many people don't even quite have the concept that they have a race, even being just being in this world. You, you are, there's a racial identity there and we need to talk about that. It it seems like we have a lot of school districts in the country that are trying to have these conversations, but many of them go about it by one day a year. They have a PD session where they bring in a speaker and we do the thing for an hour or two. And then we check that box and we say we've done it. I'm going to throw it out to both of you guys. How do we have these conversations so it's not a three hour check the box and let's move on to the next topic? How do we really deep dive in this? Well, um, it's 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 tough because like you know of course it's a conflict if you know i i do professional development so i try to go in there for my three hours and give you the best i got um and uh uh, so i'm not going to make myself obsolete here but um i i do think that it depends on what you do in that time like and it's a, it depends on the goals that you set and the plans that you set. Um, uh, uh, um, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but something I saw, I don't know who to even attribute it to, but I know it's not mine. They said something about you have a dream and you, and you write it down and it becomes a goal and then you make steps and it becomes a plan. I saw that somewhere and, 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 and it stuck in my brain because we have these dreams. My school's going to be this, it's going to be this. And so you bring someone in. That's if you're doing it the right way. If you're, I think if you mean to check the box, then you're not going to have any success because you don't have any goals. You're just trying to check a box. But if you're actually trying to get better, then uh, you have to make sure that your dreaming time turns into goal-setting time, which turns into plan-making time. And I think that, I think, is the difference. Like someone, I have had professional de- developers come in and in 45 minutes change my pedagogy like entirely turn it inside out, make me think about things I've never thought about before. How so? Well, I mean, and, and that that's in all aspects of my teaching. Like someone, you know, I've been teaching writing a certain way. Someone comes in and tells me a different way. And I'm like, oh, wow. Someone comes in and really hammers the, the, the importance of revision when I've been kind of like pushing it off to the side. Now I'm different. Race relations is the same way. Race conversations, which is what I talk about, is the same thing. Like, Someone, I when I go in and work with the school, uh, uh, the 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 comments I receive afterwards are often about how they are going to use the questions I've given them, the strategies, the techniques, and and, and the modes of inquiry that I gave them to make uh, plans, to set real goals, and then make plans. And uh, I think if you're session does not involve that process then you are just having a session um and uh uh, uh, any successes you have after that session will just be luck Hmm. and and i i i I tell people and i don't know if it's good for business or bad for business but i tell people straight up i says 
we're going to set small goals and we're going to reach them. And then we're going to set more small goals and we're going to reach them and we're going to make plans and we're going to set goals and we're going to try to get better. And I'm not going to come in here and change, you know, your district. I'm not going to come in and change your school in the amount of time that I have. And anyone who says that they are is lying. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way that you can undo centuries of stuff in a day. You can't do it. And, and, and I never promise it. My book doesn't promise it for sure. Uh, my 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 book's all about the grind. It's all about hard work. Um, so I, I think, but I also don't want to say because it, it's defeatist to 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 you know to say that you know being a a a you know you have to do professional developments. We have to get better. We're professionals. If we stop doing that, then the world will stop treating us like professionals. And we always have to fight as teachers to be treated like professionals. And in order to be treated like professionals, we have to continue to develop. And so I, I, I don't want to write off the, the idea that you can get better at this stuff. Now, Shauna, talk to us a little bit about your professional development and what, what happens when you go into a, an environment where you're working with other educators. Um, well, in the... The school that I most recently worked in for seven years is a literacy specialist. It was a K to six school. And um, I did a lot of co-teaching and the ways that we would um, bring race into conversations um, and not just race, but racialized identities and, and talking about um, how, you know, how their representation in the media um, is through inquiry work. And I think Matt mentioned inquiry, um, and just kind of asking questions and letting the world sort of be our guide. Um, and certainly, especially in the, in the older grades and with all grades K to six, um, one of the things that I do, um, is I help people access these conversations through texts and, um, you know, literature, it could be picture books, it could be videos, but, texts are those um, just kind of easily tangible things that we can all sort of share together and then just and just have conversations around them. So I use a lot of texts as catalysts. Um, and then, uh, you know, one, one of the things that, that Kathy and I have found when we work with teachers is that teachers just really feel like they, they need space to talk. Um, and, and I'm only, and I can only speak to um, the groups of teachers that we worked with, which again are predominantly white. Um, but they just feel like they need to talk. They need to talk about situations that happen with kids. How do I address this? Um, how do I how do I talk about race and not have it always be about historical oppression, conflict? You know, they, they're so there's such a big learning curve, I think, um, that a lot of the work that we do is around just talking and having discussions, um, and identity work, you know, looking at ourselves and our own racial identity and how that fits into the world. Well, let's, let's, let's actually talk about that question here as far as what we can do both in our school districts and in our homes. You know, um, I'm the proud father of five-year-old triplets and they go to school in a environment that's very much like them um there's not a lot of diversity where we are up here in the country and we're very much aware of that but we certainly want to make sure that we are inviting everything into our into our kitchen table and having these great discussions about things and when topics come up we want to figure out how to handle that 
but they're five years old. So, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the questions again about when do you start these conversations? How do you start these conversations? Do you wait for them to ask you? And again, like maybe, we can, you know, this is the five-year-old dad talking, but how do you start this stuff around the kitchen table? Matt, what do you think? I mean, I would, um, uh, when, I would think, I mean, there's it, a thought experiment, really, like, think if you are an african-american parent or a latino parent asian parent how often your your children have to engage whiteness in their media in the tv they watch in the books that they read in the movies they you know etc right try to give some percentage of that to your kids or to every like think about how how normal whiteness is to a young latino girl um think about how many images of whiteness they see and deal with just interacting in this world right and and how they see it and then try to give your kids a portion of that like in their in their reality in the books that they read in the media that you let them see in the music that they listen to in the things that they're introduced to I, I think the, the fairest thing is just that empathetic, give them a portion because, you know, like you said about, you know, white men r- running the world and, and uh, I don't run from the gender point. I think I use the gender comparison all of the time. Um, no, they're not the same. No, they're, but they are there. I like, you know, without getting t- into oppression Olympics, I do like <laughs> using one lens to see, you know, uh, uh, to see a, a, another, um, but like you said, like it, the white men run the world, and um, as far as race is concerned, white people run the world, uh, and that means that if a black kid is watching a movie, they're seeing white people. If they're watching TV, they're seeing white people. If they're reading stories, the default is white people. Their books are about white people. So the most intentional thing that a white parent can do is be mindful of that and give your five-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old brown people. Like literally just give them brown, <laughs> uh, you know, in their media, in their stories, in, and like not just the stories of oppression, but like stories with black characters, stories with Latino characters, Asian characters, movies. And, you know, I, I think that's a good place to start. It doesn't, you know, solve everything. But when you're thinking about when to start and when you're thinking about um, how to start? I think it starts with the the media and uh, the stories that they consume. That's where I would start. And, and where does that happen? Does that happen in front of you on a TV? Does that happen under the Christmas tree? Should Should I get my kids? Uh, sorry, let me rephrase it. Should Santa Claus bring, <laughs> bring a Ray doll from Star Wars and a Poe doll from Star Wars? And uh, because the movies are starting to become, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, Disney's done doing a great job at integrating. Absolutely. But should the country be integrating? I was just going to say at the holidays because, you know, here yeah. we're recording this. Right. But I mean, as 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 parents, should we be multiculturing our holiday presents as best as you can? Like, I think as best as you can, um, you know, and, and, you know, I know from shopping for, for my daughter, you know, finding 
uh, my my wife got super excited. She found some dolls that, that is like, hey, this look, this looks like Dia. We need to get this kid. And unfortunately, it's you know it's harder, right? And so you might even get a taste of how hard it is to find some of the things that are out there. Uh, um, but I think you know putting brown you know media in front of them, brown toys, brown this, and and not making a big deal of it, like normalizing it. You're like. You know, you know, and that's, I'm not going to front. That's probably super hard work. I know it's hard work for brown parents raising brown kids. So I can imagine if you're in a white community and a white family, that's going to be hard work to find. Well, what do you do when students are starting to ask questions? Again, I, I don't necessarily want to focus on white and black and that definition of race, but you watch the TV and you're hearing things about border walls. You're hearing things about, uh, you know, over the Pacific and, and how we're having, you know, you know, in the Arab states, race relations there. And should we be funding wars against each other and where to put capitals? And how do we handle the questions that come from our 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 I'll say students, but really our kids, when they say, should the government be fighting these specific people? And why is the government always talking about these specific people? I'm not going black right there. I'm going everything else at that point. What happens when our students are asking these questions? How do we answer them? I I, want to kind of see if we can wrap up with that. But let's talk about strategies. What strategies can we as parents and what strategies as, as we as teachers can come up because sometimes those are similar and sometimes those are different, right? Classroom strategies is different than mom and dad strategies. But what are some of the things that we could be keeping in mind as we have these conversations about everything happening in the world today? Uh, Shauna, let me start with you. What, what, what advice do you give out there? Well, one of the things that I've learned um, from my work with, with students and co-teaching uh, inquiries that where these topics often come up and these questions are being asked is to... Um, have a lot of communication with families and to talk about, you know, these are some of the questions that are arising. Um, So this is what we're going to be exploring and, um, you know, really focusing on getting as much factual information as you can and, and just, you know, letting kids ask those questions and, and look at it through an inquiry lens. Well, if you have, you know, you have questions about who we're in conflict in, let's find out, let's look at, what's going on, um, you know, using a variety of sources and a variety of different kinds of texts, but really being open with communication and communication with family so that they're not blindsided when you get home and the, the student is saying, oh, we're, you know, we talked about, I mean, I'm just thinking of one school uh, in New Hampshire that tried to tell uh, the more factual story about Columbus and you would think that would be a really good thing and a really wonderful thing that that this that this classroom is doing, this teacher is doing, um, because for too long we've been telling a different story, um, and that teacher was raked through the coals by parents who were caught off guard by you know thinking that she was traumatizing her students. Which okay, I'll put the ridiculousness of that aside, but. Um, I think that that just constant communication and here are some things you might want to talk about, you know, at the dinner table. Here are some things your your child might have questions about um, and know that we are grappling with these in the classroom. I think that's the most important thing, Uh, whether you're doing work around race or gender. I did a gender inquiry, co-taught that um, in the kindergarten classroom a year ago, and that was one of the lessons learned that we just need to be in constant communication with families. 
I I echo that, right? Constant communication with families, making sure that communication is so important, right? And and it's about being open and and, and letting everybody know what's going on. I I, want to, can I do a little role playing with you, Matt, for a second here? Because I got, I have two questions that I want to ask you as far as the, what happens when a student asks you this question, right? And can I just do a, how, how would you respond to these students? Can I give you one of those real quick? Sure. You are a high school teacher and middle school teacher. Let's go a little little younger. And your middle school student comes up and says, why is the government only interested in building a wall on the southern border, not the northern border? Well, I I, I would. um, It depends, right? I'm always full of more. (laughs) Uh, uh, I love contextualizing everything. If that's. It depends if that's a planned thread in my discussion. Like, have we been speaking about this for a while, or is this just kick? Or do I just have this relationship with this kid where they trust me, where they want to come up and ask me? To, I think how I answer that depends. Because, um, uh, uh, um, but the, both of those answers would be linked to inquiry. It'd be like, why do you think? Mm-hmm. I think my go-to answer would be, why do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, especially younger or older, why do you think they are? And then I, uh, I, I can't, um, I can't admire Shauna's point enough about inquiry. Like, why do you think, uh, uh, let's explore that, that thesis that you come up with and, and, and then see, um, you know, and, and also following up how, well, how do you think or why do you think I'm sorry with how does that make you feel? I think is important. Um, Go ahead. No, no. And, and, and you know, I, one, one could assume that when they're asking that question about border walls and stuff, you know, they know that there is a race and nationalities going sure, on. Sure. But what happens if they're, they don't realize they're asking a race based question. And the other question I had on my mind is what happens? And I'll open this to both of you guys, but there's somebody says, I heard this word on the news and I didn't understand it. What is gerrymandering? Well, there are, I I think there are race-based questions, but there are human questions. And and I don't treat them any differently now, besides maybe be a little bit more discerning, maybe Mm -hmm. be a little bit more, you know, aware that they are emotional topics. So, so be careful with your words, but uh, by way of analogy, at SLA, at, at science leadership at my school, my principal is always saying that you start making mistakes when the technology becomes the thing. Yeah. The technology is infused through all of the learning. You don't have a tech. Uh, you don't have the tech project. All of your projects are tech. And that's how I feel about race. Like it's not, it's not necessarily a race question. We are having a discourse about humanity where race plays a major role, especially in this country. So gentrification, displacement, border walls, hip hop, (laughs) like lovely things, rough things. They're all race conversations. Um, they're, they're, they're all race conversations. And, and so, and all of them are driven by inquiry and, and empathy and those being the two touchstones. And I think if you do not, well, if you try to treat race issues with the same academic and emotional respect that you do every other issue that is discussed, um, with the same, you know, you know, you know, yeah, I think respect actually, respect. If you treat race issues with the same kind of respect, uh, um, uh, amazing things can happen. Kids, I've seen kids who are like, you know, 
they're just so used to a race conversation disengaging their analytical selves and just being an emotional thing that when you turn them when you challenge them to engage their emotional their 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 analytical selves alongside their emotional selves they 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 come to solutions to questions that adults are still fighting over and they they because like i've seen amazing things happen when and all i did was treat a race conversation with the same respect that i treat every other conversation about humanity that we have um uh, i think that's important and lastly um uh uh uh, facts like Mm -hmm. starting with facts and reminding especially in these days that facts are facts um, is, 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 is a powerful, powerful thing when it comes to looking at some of these uh, uh, human conversations that involve race. Like you talk about prisons, you just look at numbers and you look at facts and then you have and, and you say, well, why are these communities policed more than these communities? Let's ask this question. Let's try to figure this out together. If these people do less drugs than these people, how come there are more police in these neighborhoods than these people? Why is that? Let's ask these questions. Um, engage your analytical selves and go to facts in race conversation in the same way you do with other human conversations. I think we unintentionally, either through our fear or through our, you know, our need to avoid or our need to make everybody feel good or anything, we deliberately remove analysis from race conversations. I'm noticing that. Mm-hmm. Like, it just in having these conversations, they stop being about figuring things out. They start being about digging in, taking a stand, and throwing bombs at each other. I, I, I want to pick up on that because you just said it's, a you know, figuring things out. And, and you know, Shauna, when we're looking at all of this, as a, as a culture, as a nation, as where we are right now going into 2019, and I'll say it again for my five-year-olds, is there hope out there? Is there is there the possibility that this is going to, you know, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, is there hope for this? Or is it just finding our, the, the balance where we can get along? Or how, how do we say kumbaya at the end of the day with all this, right? Like, What is the future here? <laughs> Um, well, I honestly, actually, I, I think that, you know, a lot of educators and schools, their, their singular focus on getting along and on kindness actually um, is, is, is definitely not enough. Um, and we saw that in that district where um, just a couple of months ago at Halloween, we saw a group of educators dressed up as so-called Mexicans and the border wall. The first thing I did when I saw that in the news was I said, hmm, let's look at the district and the school website and see if they have a kindness policy. What does it say in their mission statement? And sure enough, we're all about respect and not bullying and and being kind and not being prejudicial. Um, So I, I do see hope. And the place where I see the hope is in the children. And that's why I think it's important to start talking about race and representation and differences early, early, early. Because again, those of us who are white, who have young children, that is our privilege to be able to say, "Mm, not ready to talk about it yet. That's a privilege that we need to understand. Um, And I think 
by like Matt said, by, t- by maybe engaging first in media representation and starting to look at that, what do you notice? I mean, if you watch an hour of television um, on, let's say Nickelodeon, and you just started looking at the kids in the commercials, you're going to start noticing (laughs) what do they look like? Um, And once you start seeing that stuff around representation, you can't unsee. And kids pick up on it like that. And, you know, they're interested, they want to learn. And so I think there is hope in it. And I think the hope is really with, with the children. Matt, I'll throw it to you for one last word here. Is there hope for our future when we have things like Halloween costumes Charlottesville, uh, you know, TV, everything. Is there a hope that we can give to our five-year-olds? There is only, only, the only good people who are completely without hope are those who didn't give full weight to the kind of badness that's in the world in the first place. I think anyone who is surprised by the teachers dressing up like the wall doesn't know people like we have in this country. Racism is our original sin. It is in our blood and we have not even come close to eradicating it. And yet we have faced uh, and overcome much like we have. There there are so many things that I can do that my grandparents had to fight for. There are so many things that we have done. But if you look at our recent elections and are completely shocked, that says something about what you thought the world was. As opposed, if you look at, you know, racist people being racist, (laughs) if that shocks you, that means you didn't give the country enough credit for being the racist place that it is. Like this country has been racist from the beginning. It is racist now, and it will be racist 30 years from now, 50 years from now. We're, there will be versions of racism that will live because it is in our bloodstream, and we will have made progress if, we, if good people keep putting in work. For my daughter, for her children, it will be better than it is for me because we've been making progress. Uh, but... You know, and anyone who says otherwise is ahistorical. Like anyone who says that we are somehow, you know, as, as, as if, you know, recent dips in civility are nothing compared to the incivility of 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Uh, uh, recent, you know, uh, uh, you know th- we are trending forward, but we do have to come with the idea and I think it's real to circle back, you know, to, when we bring it to family life and think about young children. I knew that this was a racist country when I was four years old and five years old and six years old and seven years old. Many brown children do. We know it's racist. Like uh, the shock of recent elections did not last long. <laughs> it was there. But then you're like on. But after further thought, <laughs> yeah. That's, that is what would happen. Like, and so you cannot allow yourself to be dismayed and think it's hopeless. You have to allow yourself to say, this country's racist. We have a race problem. There are many people in this country that 
are, are, are explicitly racist. There are many people in this country who are racist and don't know they're racist. There are many people in this country who are completely sitting on the sidelines and will never try to engage it. And that will be the same case 30 years from now. And that will be the same case 50 years from now. But we will have made some progress. I think that's, it has to, you have to look at it from a complicated lens. And for that, I have hope. Like, be, because I know for Adia, for my daughter, it will be better than it is now. But, you know, it's, you can't fool yourself into thinking the country isn't what it is. That's a bad place to start because it really, it, 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 it really allows you to be broken and dismayed way too easily and quit way too easily. Hmm. Uh, guys, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I love the topic. I, I love having these discussions. I, I, I you know, always welcome TeacherCast to be a great place to have these discussions. If you're out there and, and you have any comments for any of our guests, you can, of course, reach out to us over on TeacherCast on Twitter or leave us a voice message. We want to hear from you guys. And, you know, let's let's do this show again sometime. Shauna, the, the book is called Renew, Become a Better and More Authentic Writing Teacher. Uh, where can we find it and where can we learn more about the great stuff that you're doing? Um, well, I'm very active on Twitter. So if you go to twitter.com slash Shauna Coppola, you'll find me there and um, very easily accessible. I'm on all the time. Um, and there's a link to my book there as well. And Matt, the book is called Not Light But Fire, How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom by Matthew R.K. Matt, where else can we find you and uh, how do we learn more about the great things that you're doing? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt R.K. Okay. Um, and um, I really love having conversations with folks that, that reach out to me. So I'm looking forward to building. Well, both of you guys are certainly welcome to come on the show anytime and continue these conversations or let's start some new ones. Because as you guys said all, all afternoon here, it is a meaningful conversation that has to be happening in middle school, high school, kitchen table living room tv entertainment movies anywhere these are the conversations that we should be having with our kids and they are so important and we of course want to say thank you guys to you out there for listening to the teacher cast podcast and making teacher cast your home for professional development stick with us throughout 2019 we've got some great things happening over on the teacher cast educational network you can of course leave us a voice message over at teachercast.net slash voicemail and email us at feedback at teachercast today with any questions or if you'd like to be a guest on a future podcast. And on behalf of everybody here on TeacherCast, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classroom and continue sharing your passions with your students. <laughs>